Chapter 6 Into the Forest I wish the McReady would hurry up and take all these people away, said Susan presently. I'm getting horribly cramped. And what a filthy smell of camphor, said Edmund. I expect the pockets of these coats are full of it, said Susan, to keep away the moss. There's something sticking to my back, said Peter. And isn't it cold, said Susan. Now that you mention it, it is cold, said Peter. And hang it all, it's wet too. What's the matter with this place? I'm sitting on something wet. It's getting wetter every minute, he struggled to his feet. Let's get out, said Edmund. They've gone. Oh, said Susan suddenly, and everyone asked her what was the matter. I'm sitting against a tree, said Susan, and look, it's getting light over there. By Jove, you're right, said Peter, and look there and there. It's trees all around, and this wet stuff is snow. Why, I do believe we've gotten into Lucy's wood after all. And now there was no mistaking it, and all four children stood blinking in the daylight of a winter day. Behind them were coats hanging on pegs, and in front of them were snow-covered trees. Peter turned at once to Lucy. I apologize for not believing you, he said. I'm sorry. Will you shake hands? Of course, said Lucy, and did. And now, said Susan, what do we do next? Do, said Peter. Why, go and explore the wood, of course. Ugh, said Susan, stamping her feet. It's pretty cold. What about putting on some of these coats? They're not ours, said Peter doubtfully. I'm sure nobody would mind, said Susan. It isn't as if we wanted to take them out of the house. We shan't take them even out of the wardrobe. I never thought of that, Sue, said Peter. Of course, now you put it that way, I see. No one could say you had bagged a coat as long as you leave it in the wardrobe where you found it. And I suppose this whole country is in the wardrobe. They immediately carried out Susan's very sensible plan. The coats were rather too big for them, so that they came down to their heels and looked more like royal robes than coats when they had them put on. But they all felt a good deal warmer, and each thought the others looked better in their new get-up and more suitable to the landscape. We can pretend we are Arctic explorers, said Lucy. This is going to be exciting enough without pretending, said Peter, as he began leading the way into the forest. There were heavy, darkish clouds overhead, and it looked as if there might be more snow before night. I say, began Edmund presently, oughtn't we to be bearing a bit more to the left, that is, if we are aiming for the lamp post? He had forgotten for the moment that he must pretend never to have been in the wood before. The moment the words were out of his mouth, he realized that he had given himself away. Everyone stopped. Everyone stared at him. Peter whistled. So you really were here, he said. That time Lou said she'd met you in here and you made out that she was telling lies. There was dead silence. Well, of all the poisonous little beasts, said Peter and shrugged his shoulders and said no more. There seemed indeed no more to say, and presently the four resumed their journey. But Edmund was saying to himself, I'll pay you all out for this, you pack of stuck-up self-satisfied prigs. Where are we going anyway, said Susan, chiefly for the sake of changing the subject. I think Lou ought to be the leader, said Peter. Goodness knows she deserves it. Where will you take us, Lou? What about going to see Mr. Tumnus, said Lucy. He's the nice fawn I told you about. Everyone agreed to this, and off they went walking briskly and stamping their feet. Lucy proved a good leader. At first she wondered whether she would be able to find the way, but she recognized an odd-looking tree on one place and a stump in another and brought them on to where the ground became uneven and into the little valley and at last to the very door of Mr. Tumnus's cave.
but there a terrible surprise awaited them. The door had been wrenched off its hinges and broken to bits. Inside the cave was dark and cold and had the damp feel and smell of a place that had not been lived in for several days. Snow had drifted in from the doorway and was heaped on the floor, mixed with something black which turned out to be the charred sticks and ashes from the fire. Someone had apparently flung it about the room and then stamped it out. The crockery lay smashed on the floor and the picture of the fawn's father had been slashed into shreds with a knife. This is a pretty good washout, said Edmund. Not much good coming here. What is this? said Peter, stooping down. He had just noticed a piece of paper which had been nailed through the carpet to the floor. Is there anything written on it? asked Susan. Yes, I think there is, answered Peter. But I can't read it in this light. Let's go out into the open air. They all went out into the daylight and crowded around Peter as he read out the following words. The former occupant of these premises, the Fawn Tumnus, is under arrest and awaiting his trial on a charge of high treason against Her Imperial Majesty Jadis, Queen of Narnia, Charlotte Chatelaine of Caer Paravel, Empress of the Lone Islands, etc. Also of comforting her said Majesty's enemies, harboring spies and fraternizing with humans. Signed, McGrim, Captain of the Secret Police. Long live the Queen. The children stared at each other. I don't know that I'm going to like this place after all, said Susan. Who is this Queen, Lou, said Peter. Do you know anything about her? She isn't a real queen at all, answered Lucy. She's a horrible witch, the white witch. Everyone, all the wood people hate her. She has made an enchantment over the whole country so that it is always winter here and never Christmas. I wonder if there's any point in going on, said Susan. I mean, it doesn't seem particularly safe here, and it looks as if... It won't be much fun either, and it's getting colder every minute, and we've brought nothing to eat. What about just going home? <clears throat> oh, but we can't, we can't, said Lucy suddenly. Don't you see? We can't just go home, not after this. It's all on my account that the poor fawn has gotten into this trouble. He hid me from the witch and showed me the way back. That's what it means by comforting the queen's enemies and fraternizing with humans. We simply must try to rescue him. A lot we could do, said Edmund, when we haven't got, even gotten anything to eat. Shut up, you, said Peter, who was still very angry with Edmund. What do you think, Susan? I have a horrid, horrid feeling that Lou is right, said Susan. I don't want to go a step further, and I wish we'd never come, but I think we must try to do something for Mr. Whatever his name is. I mean the fawn. That's what I feel, too, said Peter. I'm worried about having no food with us. I'd vote for going back and getting something from the larder, only there doesn't seem to be any certainty of getting into this country again once we've gotten out of it. I think we'll have to go on. So do I, said both the girls. If only we knew where the poor chap was in prison, said Peter. They were all still wondering what to do next when Lucy said, Look, there's a robin with such a red breast. It's the first bird I've seen here. I say, I wonder, can birds talk in Narnia? It almost looks as if it wanted to say something to us. Then she turned to the robin and said, Please, can you tell us where Tumnus the fawn has been taken to? As she said this, she took a step towards the bird. It at once flew away, but only as far as to the next tree. There it perched and looked at them very hard as if it understood all they had been saying. Almost without noticing that they had done so, the four children went a step or two nearer to it. At this, the robin flew away again to the next tree and once more looked at them very hard. You couldn't have found a robin with a redder chest or a brighter eye. Do you know, said Lucy, I really believe he means us to follow him. I have an idea he does, said Susan. What do you think, Peter? Well, we might as well try it, answered Peter. The robin appeared to understand the matter thoroughly. 
It kept going from tree to tree, always a few yards ahead of them, but always so near that they could easily follow it. In this way, it led them on slightly downhill. Wherever the robin alighted, a little shower of snow would fall off the branch. Presently, the clouds parted overhead, and the winter sun came out, and the snow all around them grew dazzling bright. They had been traveling in this way for about a half an hour, with the two girls in front, when Edmund said to Peter, If you're not still too high and mighty to talk to me, I have something to say, which you'd better listen to. What is it? said Peter. Hush! Not so loud, said Edmund. There's no good frightening the girls, but have you realized what we're doing? What? said Peter, lowering his voice to a whisper. We're following a guide we know nothing about. How do we know which side that bird is on? Why wouldn't it be leading us into a trap? That's a nasty idea. Still, a robin, you know. They're good birds in all the stories I've ever read. I'm sure a robin wouldn't be on the wrong side. If it comes to that, which is the right side? How do we know that the fawns are in the right and the queen, yes, I know we've been told she's a witch, is in the wrong? We don't really know anything about either. The fawns saved Lucy. He said he did, but how do we know? And there's another thing, too. Has anyone the least idea of the way home from here? Great Scott, said Peter. I hadn't thought of that. And no chance of dinner either, said Edmund. Chapter 7 A Day with the Beavers While the two boys were whispering behind, both the girls suddenly cried, Oh! and stopped. The robin! cried Lucy. The robin has flown away! And so it had, right out of sight. And now what are we to do? said Edmund, giving Peter a look which was as much to say, What did I tell you? Shh! Look! said Susan. What? said Peter. There's something moving among the trees over there to the left. They all stared as hard as they could, and no one felt very comfortable. There it goes again, said Susan presently. I saw it that time too, said Peter. It's still there. It's just gone behind that big tree. What is it? asked Lucy, trying very hard not to sound nervous. Whatever it is, said Peter, it's dodging us. It's something that doesn't want to be seen. Let's go home, said Susan. And then, though nobody said it out loud, everyone suddenly realized the same fact that Edmund had whispered to Peter at the end of the last chapter. They were lost. What's it like, said Lucy. It's, it's a kind of animal, said Susan. And then, look, look, quick, there it is. They all saw it this time, a whiskered furry face, which had looked out at them from behind a tree. But this time it didn't immediately draw back. Instead, the animal put its paw against its mouth, just as humans put their finger on their lips when they are signaling for you to be quiet. Then it disappeared again. The children all stood holding their breath. A moment later, the stranger came out from behind the tree, glanced all around as if it were afraid someone was watching, said, hush, made signs to them to join it in the thicker bit of wood where it was standing, and then once more disappeared. I know what it is, said Peter. It's a beaver. I saw the tail. It wants to, us to go to it, said Susan, and it is warning us not to make a noise. I know, said Peter. The question is, are we to go to it or not? What do you think, Lou? I think it's a nice beaver, said Lucy. Yes, but how do we know, said Edmund. Shan't we have to risk it, said Susan? I mean, it's no good just standing here, and I feel I want some dinner. At this moment, the beaver again popped his head out from behind the tree and beckoned earnestly to them. Come on, said Peter, let's give it a try. I'll keep close together. We ought to be a match for one beaver if it turns out to be an enemy. So the children all got close together and walked up to the tree and in behind it. And there, sure enough, they found the beaver. But it still drew back, saying to them in a hoarse, throaty whisper, Further in! Come further in! 
right in here. We're not safe in the open. Only when it had led them into a dark spot where four trees grew so close together that their boughs met and the brown earth and pine needles could be seen underfoot because no snow had been able to fall there did it begin to talk to them. Are you the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, it said. We're some of them, said Peter. Shh, said the beaver. Not so loud, please. We're not even safe here. Why, who are you afraid of, said Peter. There's no one here but ourselves. There are the trees, said the beaver. They're always listening. Most of them are on our side, but there are trees that would betray us to her. You know who I mean. And it nodded its head several times. If it comes to talk about taking sides, said Edmund, how do we know you're a friend? Not meaning to be rude, Mr. Beaver, added Peter, but you see, we're strangers. Quite right, quite right, said the beaver. Here is my token. With these words, it held up to them a little white object. They all looked at it in surprise, till suddenly Lucy said, Oh, of course, it's my handkerchief, the one I gave to, to poor Mr. Tumnus. That's right, said the beaver. Poor fellow. He got wind of the arrest before it actually happened and handed this over to me. He said that if anything happened to him, I must meet you here and take you on to... Here the beaver's voice sank into silence, and it gave one or two very mysterious nods. Then, signaling to the children to stand as close around as they possibly could, so that their faces were actually tickled by his whiskers, it added in a low whisper, They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if something, some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its side. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt it as, as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And what about Mr. Tumnus, said Lucy? Where is he? Shh, said the beaver. Not here. I must bring you where we can have a real talk and also dinner. No one except Edmund felt any difficulty about, about trusting the beaver now. And everyone, including Edmund, was very glad to hear the word dinner. They therefore all hurried along behind their new friend who led them at a surprisingly quick pace and always in the thickest parts of the forest for over an hour. Everyone was feeling very tired and very hungry when suddenly the trees began to get thinner in front of them and the ground to fall steeply downhill. A minute later they came out under the open sky. The sun was still shining and found themselves looking down on a fine sight. They were standing on the edge of a steep, narrow valley at the bottom of which ran, at least it would have been running if it hadn't been frozen, a fairly large river. Just below them, a dam had been built across this river, and when they saw it, everyone suddenly remembered that, of course, beavers are always making dams, and felt quite sure that Mr. Beaver had made this one. They also noticed that he now had a sort of modest expression on his face, the sort of look people have when you are visiting a garden they've made or reading a story they've written. 
So it was only common politeness when Susan said, what a lovely dam. And Mr. Beaver didn't say hush this time, but merely a trifle, merely a trifle, and it isn't really finished. Above the dam, there was what ought to have been a deep pool, but was now, of course, a level floor of dark green ice. And below the dam, much lower down, was more ice. But instead of being smooth, this was all frozen into the foamy and wavy shapes in which the water had been rushing along at the very moment when the frost came. And where the water had been trickling over and spurting through the dam, there now a glittering ball of icicles, as if the side of the dam had been covered all over with flowers and wreaths and festoons of the purest sugar. And out in the middle, and partly on top of the dam, was a funny little house shaped rather like an enormous beehive, and from a hole in the roof smoke was going up, so that when you saw it, especially if you were hungry, you at once thought of cooking and became hungrier than you were before. That was what the others chiefly noticed, but Edmund noticed something else. A little lower down the river, there was another small river which came down another small valley to join it, and looking up that valley, Edmund could see two small hills, and he was almost sure they were the two hills which the white witch had pointed out to him when he parted from her at the lamp post that other day. And then between them, he thought, must be her palace, only a mile off or less. And he thought about Turkish delight and about being a king. And I wonder how Peter will like that, he asked himself. And horrible ideas came into his head. Here we are, said Mr. Beaver, and it looks as if Mrs. Beaver is expecting us. I'll lead the way, but be careful and don't slip. The top of the dam was wide enough to walk on, though not for humans, a very nice place to walk because it was covered with ice, and though the frozen pool was level with it on one side, there was a nasty drop to the lower river on the other. Along this route, Mr. Beaver led them in a single file right out to the middle where they could look a long way up the river and a long way down it, and when they had reached the middle, they were at the door of the house. Here we are, Mrs. Beaver, said Mr. Beaver. I found them. Here are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and they all went in. The first thing Lucy noticed as she went in was a burring sound, and the first thing she saw was a kindling old she-beaver sitting in the corner with a thread in her mouth working busily at her sewing machine, and it was from it that the sound came. She stopped her work and got up as soon as the children came in. So you've come at last, she said, holding out both her wrinkled old paws. At last, to think that ever I should live to see this day. The potatoes are on boiling and the kettle singing, and I dare say, Mr. Beaver, you'll get us some fish. That I will, said Mr. Beaver, and he went out of the house. Peter went with him, and across the ice of the deep pool to where he had a little hole in the ice, which he kept open every day with his hatchet. He took a pail with them. Mr. Beaver sat down quietly at the edge of the hole. He didn't seem to mind it being so chilly, looked hard into it, then suddenly shot in his paw, and before you could say Jack Robinson, had whisked out a beautiful trout. Then he did it all over again until they had a fine catch of fish. Meanwhile, the girls were helping Mrs. Beaver to fill the kettle and lay the table, and cut the bread, and put the plates in the oven to heat, and draw a huge jug of beer for Mr. Beaver from a barrel, which stood in one corner of the house, and to put on the frying pan and to get the dripping hot. Lucy thought the beavers had a very snug little home, though it was not at all like Mr. Tumnus's cave. There were no books or pictures, and instead of beds, there were bunks, like on board ship, built into the wall. And there were hams and strings of onions hanging from the roof, and against the walls were gumboots and oilskins and hatchets and pairs of shears and spades and trowels and things for carrying mortar in and fishing rods and fishing nets and sacks, and the cloth on the table, though very clean, was very rough. Just as the frying pan was nicely hissing, Peter and Mr. Beaver came in with the fish, which 
Mr. Beaver had already opened with his knife and cleaned out in the open air. You can think how good the new caught fish smelled while they were frying and how the hungry children longed for them to be done and how very much hungrier they still had become before Mr. Beaver said, now we're nearly ready. Susan drained the potatoes and then put them all back in the empty pot to dry on the side of the range while Lucy was helping Mrs. Beaver to dish up the trout so that in a very few minutes, everyone was drying up their stools. It was all three-legged stools in the Beaver's house, except for Mrs. Beaver's own special rocking chair beside the fire. And preparing to enjoy themselves, there was a jug of creamy milk for the children, Mr. Beaver stuck to beer, and a great big lump of deep yellow butter in the middle of the table, from which everyone took as much as he wanted to go with his potatoes. And all the children thought, and I agree with them, that there's nothing to beat good freshwater fish if you eat it when it has been alive a half hour ago and has come out of the pan half a minute ago. And when they had finished the fish, Mrs. Beaver brought unexpectedly out of the oven a great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll, steaming hot, and at the same time moved the kettle onto the fire, so that when they had finished the marmalade roll, the tea was made and ready to be poured out. And when each person had got his or her cup of tea, each person shoved back his or her stool so as to be able to lean against the wall and gave a long sigh of contentment. And now, said Mr. Beaver, pushing away his empty beer mug and pulling his cup of tea towards him, if you'll just wait till I've got my pipe lit up and going nicely, why, now we can get to business. It's snowing again, he added, cocking his eye at the window. That's all the better, because it means we shan't have any visitors, and if anyone should have been trying to follow you, why, he won't find any tracks. <laughs>